this episode of Wanted, a Midlife Hobby, we prove yet again that variety is the spice of life by talking about another new hobby option, cooking. We'll mix it up with Matt Hopkins, a good egg from Gaithersburg, Maryland, who will serve up some food for thought about getting started with your cooking hobby, hopefully in a way that won't make you feel like you're biting off more than you can chew. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the February episode of Wanted a Midlife Hobby. I am so happy to have with me here today, Matt Hopkins. Matt, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, and and I am the uh, personal recipient of some of Matt's good works in the cooking arena. I have had, in fact, I, I got to start out with a story because uh, there was an event that I was at. Matt, you were cooking with, I'm going to see if I say this right, a paella? Yeah, paella. Paella, yeah. paella. okay. So I actually took a picture of it. I texted it to some of my friends from high school. And one person texts back within seconds. That is the biggest damn paella I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's not an accident. We looked long and hard for that pot. It's a beautiful uh, three-foot, well, it's a little bit larger than three-foot diameter paella pan. It's really fantastic. It was huge. It was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it's a lousy thing to cook food in, but it's, you know, dramatic, right? Yeah, yeah, and but I will tell you the food was dramatic too. So yeah. I was, you, you know, not traumatic, good. dramatic. It was definitely dramatic. really good. <laughs> so traumatic, traumatic for Andrea, you know, for my wife. But <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling at some point that's going to come up more in our discussion too. But <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure any midlife uh, hobby podcast is more about the spouses barely hanging on by their fingernails than <laughs> the, the hobby itself right which is part of why we do it you know frankly part of the part of the whole cooking thing i'm big and loud and you know noisy and i make a mess and i'm throwing stuff all over the place and my version of cooking is chaos and um, you know with with the sort of distant ephemeral intent but it's uh but it's it drives my more methodical uh, wife absolutely crazy she cannot be in a kitchen and drives her nuts well, how'd you get started with it in the first place? What, what, what like led you down the cooking path? Um, well, I mean, I think if, uh, you know, your podcast is these great hobbies, right. And, uh, and we're all this whole COVID thing. And then, you know, the ongoing several millennial issue of midlife and, um, uh, you know, all these things sort of come together. Uh, but you know, we got to eat, you know, so, <laughs> but you know, cooking, I'm not, you know, it's a craft for sure. Uh, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of the sort of midlife hobbies are not necessities, they're indulgences or they're, um, they can be personal or they can be, uh, communal. And, um, and I know that my, my cooking is based in, uh, communal need to hang out with some friends and people and, you know, impress upon them my love for them. Right. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's really in, in essence comes down to no other, um, idea other than the fact that I love you know, some people, not all people, but some people, and they're great <laughs> people. And, they, and, uh, and I can, and there's a bunch of ways I can show them I love them and being a sarcastic, you know, self-amused, you know, you know, you know, I, I, uh, I, I have to show it in other ways <laughs> other than, you know, and so, uh, and so cooking is, um, is I think a great way to force folks to gather, mm-hmm. um, and then force them to stay there for a little bit. Uh, and, um, uh, and then show them the love, right? So it's really just an excuse to get some folks together and drink too much wine and, and, um, you know, run around. Um, and then, and then it's a topic of conversation too. So what are you going to do? You're talking about traffic or, you know, some other thing, you know, my, my family, we always, that we're famous for, you know, as we're cooking, you know, especially the men in the kitchen, we're usually talking about the next meal, 
right? So that that was that was just how my the men in my family interacted. You know, we'd sit in the, my dad's kitchen or my grandfather's kitchen, and we would talk, you know, with a bottle bottle or two or three or four of wine with my uncles and all those and my cousins, and we would talk about the next meal, and you know, uh, and um, you know, even as we were cooking, which is always fun. But yeah. and was your dad a good cook also? Yeah, dad was a great cook. Mom was a well, mom was a utilitarian cook, and um, and and mom did a you know great job of feeding us. You know, sort of uh, you know big picture. You know, food has a tiered structure, right? It's sustenance. We got to eat. We have cravings or whatever. So that there's that sort of bodily necessity. Uh, <laughs> and then I think of cooking as as you know as when it hits craft is when it sort of splits into two larger ideas. One is nostalgia. And the other is um, art or craft or, you know, elevated craft. And for me, it's, um, uh, you know, there, there's a science to baking. There's a science to, um, uh, you know, craft brewing, which is really just baking. And, uh, and there's a science to, you know, anything that is indisputably uh, narrowed to, to a, towards a truth. Um, and art is something that is constantly allowed to be pulled apart you know, in order to get to uh, some sort of self-expression or some sort of individuality, right? So it, they're, they're, you know, two sides of the same coin, right, are in science. But I think um, when we talk about the nostalgia aspect, you know, it's that thing where, you know, a matzo ball soup, you know, uh, a cassoulet for me and my French ancestry, it's, it's uh, you know, it, there's, there's certain things that, um, you know, you can have someone goes right back to their mother, their grandmother, their grandfather, they're, uh, even if even if they didn't, it could be a constructed sort of nostalgia. You know, the the my French lineage is two generations back, but I still attach to it as a Francophile with no real, you know, growing up in DC, I no real, <laughs> no real immersion in culture, you know, French culture. But it's a it's an affectation, you know, that I love, right? And uh, and and it's that that nostalgia doesn't have to be my nostalgia, you know, good smoked locks and. You know, on a on a beautiful bagel is a is a sort of the diaspora of you know Judea, it's, and and it created this you know perfect little breakfast sandwich, and uh, you know with capers and the pickled onions and the red onions, and and that that's something that the diaspora sort of put together that you know it it speaks to me, even though it's not the best breakfast sandwich, but because it has a nostalgic and a cultural sort of weight on it, I love it, right? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and then there's another end that's really the high art of cooking, which I don't do, you know, because I'm a hobbyist, right? Uh, you know, there is, and I have great respect for that, that art of cooking, the true art of cooking, uh, but it's different, you know, it's different than the craft of cooking, you know, it's, it's there for something different. And, uh, and it, and that it truly is art. That is somebody who's picking it apart and making it something, a true expression of themselves or humanity or, you know, terroir or, you know, something else that they're really trying to sort of you know, make an expression of that's beyond sustenance. It's beyond social aspects. It's beyond nostalgia, or it could be related to any of those things, but it'll be in a, it'll be in a, in a way that where it's pulled it apart. That's art. I feel like you've created a Maslow hierarchy of cooking kind of, you know, there's like that, you know, it's like yeah. you, you take your way up the pyramid a little bit, maybe not all the way to the peak, but you, but you like to go up there a little bit. I don't know if that's. Uh... Yeah. And, and that's part of the fun of cooking, right? Is that, is that we're, I'm going to eat, you know, I'm a, I'm an eater. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, guess, I guess that might be a necessity to come in the room. You know, those folks that just eat power bars all day or whatever, and, and don't uh, you know, have no sort of emotional connection to food, which I understand that everybody's different. Right. But I, I, you know, I'm not, you know, 
I'm not interested in talking to them at my party. Right, right. right. <laughs> you know, no, I'm just kidding. But you know, everybody's different. But you know that. But that, those are somebody else, right? Not part of today's conversation. But I think it's. But yeah, it's. Uh, you know, I. One of the great things about it is that we got to eat. You know, so. Uh, you know, spending and that may be the most expensive part of, of this hobby of cooking as a hobby, is trying to go out and hit restaurants because you know there's a chef who's doing something different, or you know there's a Bangladeshi restaurant that opened up and I never had Bangladeshi food. You know that you know. I I want to see you know what the flavor profiles and the techniques and the just sort of base cooking ideas. It's all the same pot of stuff, right? That sort of Eurasian spice thing, right? France to China, the two great cuisines just happen to sit at either end of that sort of you know um, uh, end of Eurasia, where you traded all these ideas and domesticated animals and spices and everything. Uh, and uh, those are and it, no coincidence that, that the two barbell ends of that became the two great cuisines of the world. Uh, and I think that, um, uh, you know, my, you know, love of going to a restaurant and, and getting something I haven't ordered before and then trying to pick it apart in my brain because there's stuff in there that I haven't really tasted before, even though I, I see that it's another stew. You know, it's another, you know, flatbread. It's another, you know, it's a another fried bread, right, which everybody in the world does, right? And, um, uh, you know, I really kind of, I love the little twists that everybody has on it. And why is some of the fun, you know, one of my favorite books is a cooking book. I'm a reader, but one of my favorite books, is a cooking book, history book, kind of mishmash from India, but it's, um, uh, you know, how did a lot of these recipes develop and things like that. And so as a, as a hobby, it, it I can do it lazily by saying, you know, oh yeah, I, I want to cook a little bit of Indonesian. So let's go hit an Indonesian restaurant and then I'll play around with the flavors in my head or, you know, subconsciously, maybe even. And you then talk the, to the chefs? People, Do you ever like ask to talk to the chefs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm an old architect. And so I, you know, designed some restaurants and worked with some chefs over the years. And uh, and, and they are, you know, uh, you know, on balance, a bunch of assholes. But, you know, for the, <laughs> you know, in, but <clears throat> when you find some nice guys, uh, they're really excited to, to share with you, you know. Uh, so, you know, there's that whole phenomenon we have with the celebrity chef thing and some of them took it a little too seriously, but, um, but a lot of those guys are still artists and, um, and, and a lot of them too, um, you know, like, um, I can't think of her name from two Amy's, but, uh, but she was just a craft master of some, what we would probably call simple stuff, right? Really simple, clean, you know, three, four, five ingredient dishes, you know, and, uh, just done really, really well which is not my strong suit as a, whatever we're going to call it, hobbyist or cook, yeah. you know, home cook. My, my, my strong suit is I'm going to get it wrong 30% of the time. So a third of the meals that I make are not inedible, but they're not what I want, what I intended them to be. Yeah. yeah. The other, the other two thirds are a okay. And they're fun and they're, and they're usually a little bit different or they're more extravagant or they're, you know, a little more unctuous or whatever. Yeah. All right. So I'm kind of curious because I was, you know, so far I've heard you talk about books. I've heard you talk about actually listen, like trying the food, chefs, you know, right. are there other resources you use when you're trying to learn how to, is it true? I mean, I know you, you play, right? You just do it and you play, but are there other resources that you reach if, talking to somebody who's like starting out? Yeah. Would you tell me yeah. how, what do I need to, where do I need to go to learn more? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, I think more cookbooks than there are people right now. Right. But, uh, but it seems to me like uh, a great place to start. I don't, you know, if you're really starting, um, I'm sure you've got to run down a few, you know, basic recipes in order just to learn a few techniques and then, and then, to, you know, begin to get your nose to respond to whatever it is. You know, if you're, 
you're sauteing something, you know, it's your nose. It's not the timer, you know, that's going to tell you when it's right. You know, it's going to be visually right. It's going to be, but really, you know, it's that smell when that caramelization of whatever it is, you know, just gets, gets just right. You know, uh, that's why, you know, I'm often in the other room getting distracted by somebody or something or a glass of wine or whatever. And, you know, and then my nose will go ding, 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 you know, and then, and then, oh crap, I got to run back. And it's like, not quite burnt, but, (laughs) but it's the, it's that little hippocampic nose, you know, connection that, that uh, sort of goes, "Ah!" and then I run back and, you know, and get it. And so I think that probably, you know, just learning what you can do, which is probably half the hobby issues in the world, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, woodworking, I, I, you know, I, I just, I don't do it because I'm lazy, um, but I really admire guys who are doing it. And and part of part of that basic craft is just getting um, to know what the tools are and what you can do, right? And then once you learn what you can do, then you start experimenting, and then you start putting things together. You know what is what does paprika taste like? I mean, no, you know it's such a weird spice. You know it's such a beautiful spice, but it's kind of a thing that you know those of us who grew up in the Anglo Western Americanized East coast world don't really know how to use paprika, you know, like mm. we don't really know, know what to do with it. And uh, so you got to hit a recipe or, you know, or talk to a chef, but hit a recipe and, uh, and then, you know, with paprika in it, and then, and then you'll begin to learn what it's like. So I would say cookbooks are the obvious, you know, um, if you haven't, if you don't have a sort of family tradition to start with, although I think that can be limiting too, you know, like, my dad had us had a midlife crisis where he started cooking Chinese, right? So when I would come home from from school, he'd I'd have there'd be a bunch of things on the table he wanted me to chop up because you know his all of his recipes were you know everything had to be for, or, you know yeah um, you know chopstick sized you know things and then he would fire them up in the wok and put his spices together and and so that um, you know that midlife crisis to me uh, was somewhat about his. The recipes that he picked up, but he at the time really what it was is he was taking chai chi just for exercise and health down in Chinatown, and of course they'd go out and have you know a little bit of food afterwards, you know, and uh, with his sensei or whoever, and uh, and just hanging out a little bit in Chinatown, and then the nose starts going, and so his his what he had been cooking his French tradition of cooking, or you know, or, or or what things he had been doing, or as a Marylander, you know, fish and crabs and whatever, and. Um, uh, really kind of evolved into this palette that he was, you know, discovering midlife. Um, Cause this is before Americans discovered food, right? We were, that was still a hamburger world in the seventies. You know? <laughs> and uh, hamburgers and hot dogs were the epitome of American cuisine, you know? So yeah. it was, it wasn't really until I think, I don't know, two, 90, late nineties, two thousands that we said, Oh, there's food out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you couldn't, you wouldn't, you couldn't be in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and go to a Bangladeshi restaurant <laughs> back then. Uh, but now you can, and uh, and so. But anyway, I got off track there. I don't even remember what your question was, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, but I think that um, his trigger—that's what it was—is his his trigger where he learned was really just sort of eating in the restaurant. So when he ate, you know, twelve different dishes. He said, oh, there's some similarities between those dishes. And then he went to a cookbook, a Chinese cookbook, and then and then uh, learned the flavor profiles and how to cook it. And, of course, you have to get the toys, you know, the little spatula and the wok. And yeah, it, yeah. Well, that, OK, so the toys. So, yeah. you know, you have a lot of toys, but I, I yeah. think is it safe to say, right? 
Yeah. I'll talk a little bit about that and then compare it to somebody who's just starting. Because one of the questions I like to ask people is what kind of financial investment will it take to kind of get serious about this hobby? You know, I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody's not cooking now. Right. Especially if they're concerned about financial investment, they're cooking. Right. Uh, You know, it's hard to, it's hard to eat out all the time uh, and not not cook. I think you can do it, but it's certainly not a cheaper alternative. Uh, And, um, uh, and, and if it is, it's, you're probably killing yourself. Right. So it's, um, it's, I think, um, I I mean, if, the, the stuff that a lot of Americans, uh, some Americans I know, <laughs> have in their in their kitchen for equipment is definitely subpar. You know, those aluminum pans and, um, uh, you know, the kind of sticky, weird uh, or the nonstick stuff that's basically bioretentive neurotoxins in a, you know, <laughs> you know, being being heated, you know, just close to their <laughs> volatile organic compound limit. And they're, you know, <laughs> it's, it just it's some of it's really just kind of asinine and and but like a really good cast iron pan which you can get from lodge for nothing i mean i don't know what they're 20 bucks for a big cast iron pan you know it's just it's just idiots like me who go and buy all the staub you know uh you know glazed ceramic with cast iron inside and every size for no particular reason (laughs) other than (laughs) other than boy they sure are pretty and you know it's it's uh it's uh you know, it's cooking porn, right? So I go into, you know, sur la table, you know, and, and it's just, oh, you know, oh, they, you know, they put a new lid on that pot. So I got to get the pot, right? <laughs> gotcha. you know? So, uh, you know, so I, I have far more pots than I have storage for pots. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think a good cast iron, particularly one with a lid, uh, if you can get one, um, and you get those cheap. You know, they require a little bit of care, a little bit of seasoning, yeah. You know, but uh, and then and then if you really want to make something that's a something you're gonna love, you know, is like a three quart cast iron uh, stall or the crusette or something like that. Or I think Lodge is making them. I think Lodge is making the bigger ones now. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, um, I'm sure. I'm sure they all make them now. Now, now that it's sort of Americans are cooking more, I'm I'm gonna bet that there's a ceramic glazed or cast iron interior ceramic outside uh pots out there for not not the ridiculous like a dutch oven kind of thing you mean or a dutch oven right yeah sorry dutch oven okay yeah no no it's okay and those are the only two cooking words i've learned so far so i had to throw them out there at some point yeah you're right yeah you're right and everybody's grandmother had a dutch oven right and then somewhere we lost them and then and now we're kind of getting them back and and if you get one that's slightly big enough for three three or four or five quarts you can do you can do all your frying in it too, or whatever it is you're doing, sautéing, you know, and you don't have to do um, just the chili or the, you know, the roast or whatever it is you normally do in the Dutch oven. What's your favorite thing to cook? What do you like to do best? Uh, well, I'm you know I'm I'm actually fairly limited in my you know skill set. I I like the big, you know, the big, unctuous stews, right? So I'm I'm a gumbo, you know, uh, big you know leek soups. Um, you know, the big, anything that's <laughs> big, you know, like uh, I made a, my kids have decided they're going to, they stopped eating mammals a while ago and now they're stopping eating birds. Which, <laughs> um, uh, uh, so last night I, I made a vegan chili, which is, which I was mad about the whole time I was making it, but, <laughs> but I made, you know, pot of chili and I really did, uh, actually Andrea started it. She chopped the onions for me and started it in a small pot. 
And then, uh, well, small pot, you know, way bigger than four people, you know, yeah. us and the girls need. And then, uh, and then she was the one that shifted to the big pot. And as soon as she did that, I mean, I didn't say it out loud. As soon as she did, it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make, I'm going to make three gallons of whatever it is, you know, because it just, I can't stop. And, uh, and part of my craft in cooking, which I think it is for a lot of home chefs is, is to keep going until it tastes right. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and, a, and a lot of my, you know, big pot stuff, you know, the gumbos and the, and the, you know, the, to vegan chili or whatever, um, is, um, that building of flavor. So you got to caramelize each item and you got to, it takes forever. And if you can build that flavor, you know, and build that stock and then, and then put the items in at the right time, which it, it's not, and it sounds like science, but it's not, you know, it really is just sort of, you know, something I thought would take an hour ends up taking three hours because I just forgot, you know, uh, or I didn't, the heat wasn't right. And it didn't really develop enough. Um, which again is another thing I love. I hate, I hate baking. And I, I, I won't be a brewer as much as I enjoyed your podcast about brewing. I won't do it because I can't, I don't have that, you know, very linear, very protective mindset of saying, you know, you know, 158 degrees. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> and it doesn't, <laughs> and it's just not fun for me. So uh, the fun part for me is just, you know, keep going. I know, I know the general idea of whatever it is I'm going, but half the time I end up with something different, you know. Don't go away. We'll be right back after the break with more Wanted, a Midlife Hobby. Have you ever had any really big fails? Oh, God, yeah. No, I've had, uh, what did I do? I did something once and uh, I made a huge, uh, it might have been, a, no, it was a jambalaya. I made a jambalaya on the grill. And uh, and I think it was one of those additive things, that, which is one of my bigger problems slash it's the fun part is I just kept going and going and going. And then I think I got soy sauce in there or something. And then it ended up being the saltiest thing you could possibly eat. So it was literally, we got a bunch of people together over this giant pan, a beautiful looking, you know, with, uh, you know, great andouille sausage in it, shrimp and lobster and everything, you know, and it was, and it was, um, gorgeous, you know, that gorgeous deep red from a, you know, nice fresh tomatoes and, uh, and it was inedible. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a pretty, it's the prettiest thing you've ever seen. And then it was like, you know, you, you get in, you know, you get like that. And because it's a baked thing, like, and I just kept going and, and I, I don't know. I'm sure I was drinking too much and, and running around. I'm sure people had already thrown <laughs> up, you know? And so I just, whatever I did, it was absolutely inedible. And then of course I burned something every, you know, you know, half the time I burned something. Actually, I figured it out. It's about a third of the time, about a third of the time I burned something. Really? I just forget about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Is that again, because of the wine or is there other reasons for just, uh, uh, yeah, probably wine and people, you know, I get distracted, you know, yeah. and I, and I talk too much, obviously. And uh, so, you know, if people are over, I'm yip yapping and, and um, you know, get a bottle of wine in me. I'm going to yip yap more and get in some heated argument about, the, you know, the essence of the color blue or some ridiculous thing. You've been <laughs> around the job, right? <laughs> we'll argue about anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the point of the community, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it totally is. It's, and it's a lot of fun, which also means I'm not keeping an eye on whatever it is I'm cooking. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, so, so if you are cooking. That's a great tip, actually, for for your for your listeners. Is, is uh, if if you have my personality, then uh, we gotta like I have. I've separated things into slow cook. That that if I get if I get to it within the right hour, it's good, right? <laughs> so it really, it's, 
And then, and then there's the, the things that are really quick cook, you know, it's those uh, really sort of well-marinated shrimp, you know, on the grill with, uh, you know, lime and hot peppers and, you know, some of the, you know, but I can like cook them and serve them, you know, like I don't have to, you know, if I walk away, they're not, they'll be ruined. So I'll literally, you know, and then I can serve them, you know? So that middle time frame, that's your dangerous spot, right? You can do really quick or you can do long-term, but okay. That's good to know. Yeah. I'm pretty distractible. So I think that's really good for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of great stuff that just require just a little bit of fire or, or no fire. You know, ceviche is a great one for me just because I love, you know, people, people come over, you pour the, you know, pour the, the juice on top, the lime juice on top. And then, you can, you know, you're going to serve it in half an hour or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and you don't, you can't, it's hard to ruin it's, but if you forget about it, you leave it on the counter, which I've done, then, then it's ruined, but, <laughs> or it's not eaten and then ruined. Uh, but if you can remember it and you bring it out, then, um, uh, it's hard, hard to ruin it. So is there a difference between like the, what you're using? Cause, uh, cause I know like from what I've heard, and maybe this is even wrong, but like gas stovetops, for example, are more likely to burn than electric stovetops. Is that right? Or is it matter? Is there a difference for you between? Yeah, I think um, uh, sort of radiant electric is for shit. And, uh, but, but gas and inductive are the same thing in my mind. So if you got, if you got live flame, which has, uh, we're finally figuring out that maybe it wasn't the best idea to pump you know, <laughs> a highly compressed explosive gas into our homes, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but we're, we're slowly figuring that out in 20 years. And we won't have gas in homes anymore. It's ridiculous. Okay. Uh, but it's, uh, but especially as we, as our electric grid starts to clean up, but, um, but I think, um, uh, inductive is the big leap, right? So, uh, so I, I, there is, I love my grill and I love cooking over, over flame, right? It's dramatic. It's fun. It can make a crap ton of noise. Um, and, but, uh, but flame is a little more extreme. The great thing about it is that when you turn it off, it's off, right? When you turn it down, it's down and turn it up, it's up. Um, but all of that to me has more to do with the pan has more to do like cast iron is a much better job of, you know, uh, you know, you put insulation in the wall, not, not so that, um, you know, it's always going to be warm or cold inside. You put insulation in the wall so that you transition the exchange of heat on a slower rate, right? That's all, that's all it's there for. It's the same with cast iron, right? You train. So you can turn it all the way up on a gas stove or, or an induction, you know, stove and, and it's going to heat up, but it's going to take a little while. If it just have, if you just have an aluminum pan, it's going to, it'd be hot like that. Uh, and, uh, and that can oversear. And to me, that to me, kind of, you're gaining some control if you really need, you know, if you're trying to, if you're a restaurant and you're trying to pump out, you know, yeah. 20, 20 things in, you know, half an hour, uh, then maybe you need that kind of instant reaction. But, you know, for the rest of us, I think it's, I think it's a dangerous thing. So I like to keep my flames outside, you know, and then I can do, you know, I can put some bourbon in there and set it on fire or do whatever, you know, that, you know, I've, I've ruined a couple microwaves when we used to have a microwave above the stove, you know, I'm not <laughs> microwaves and things like that. Um, uh, which Andrea loves again, but the, uh, but I think, um, uh, I think the induction stove is the big winner for me, um, stovetop and, um, uh, yeah, it's a lot safer, obviously. Um, and then, um, it does a great job if you have, you know, the right pants, it does an incredible job. And again, it's the same thing. So because it's inductive, it's a little bit of residual heat from a pan or something, but when you turn it off or you turn it down, it goes right down just like, you know, a gas, uh, 
Do you actually use the microwave? Uh, yeah, all the time. No, I use a microwave. I'm uh, I'm lazy too, so you know I'm not. I'm no sort of. <laughs> are there purists? I thought there was something like purists don't use microwaves or something. I'm like sure, that. there are. I'm sure there are. I don't know who the hell they are, but I'm sure there are. <laughs> I I uh, no. I you know I'll speed up. Like if I'm gonna make a nice potato or something, you know, I'm I'll I'll just speed it up. You know, I'll give it a few minutes in the microwave just as you know. If I'm you know if I'm gonna roast even roast potatoes, I want it. You know, I want it soften just a bit before I, you know, start cooking whatever it is. Plus, I, you know, I find anything that's just warmed up will absorb whatever it is I'm doing to it, spices or butter or whatever. So. All right. So you're somebody who has a full-time job. This, again, is your is your hobby. And I'm anticipating that people listening to this probably also have a full-time job going on. Yeah. You know, and if I'm a full-time worker and I say, hey, I don't think I have time for this. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I, I mean, you're cooking something now, right? <laughs> all, all we're talking about is adding a little bit of, of more, adding a little bit of depth to your spice cabinet, adding a few more, you know, things right next to the stove, whatever it is, or the microwave, whatever you're cooking with. And, um, you know, and just, you know, up in it a bit, you know. And um, so, you know, unlike a lot of other hobbies, it, you know, it's something you're doing every day. Um, and, and upping that game is is a little bit of time, right? And may, maybe most of the time it's just being able to go to the store, you know, or if you or if you decide to drop some bucks, you, know, you can do the home kits, you know. That's actually that's a, that's probably a great way for a lot of folks to learn how to cook is to do the home chef thing, uh, you know, whatever it is, Blue Apron, whoever, and and then you know, and get their, you know, ingredients to folks who are intimidated by the produce section or the meat section. That, that's actually a great idea. Um, I w- it didn't work on my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. I tried, we, we bought them a couple kits and it did not, it did not get them excited enough to cook. But, okay. um, but I think, I think it's like any other hobby, right? People, people say, Oh, I, I'm not going to create, you know, a Chateaubriand, you know, uh, tonight for dinner. So I'm, I'm going to just open a, you know, rip the plastic off something and stick it in the microwave. Right. So I, I think it's, um, I think there's a huge piece in the middle there. <laughs> that all the rest of us do. Uh, and then, and then repetition speeds you up, right? When you do something twice, it's twice as fast. You do something 10 times, it's a 10th the time. If you do something a hundred times, you can just do it with your left hand, you know, while being distracted by something else. Okay. What are the biggest challenges to, to like, to advancing or for even somebody to get started? Cause you just mentioned that it was, you said your brother-in-law, sister-in-law didn't get started. Like what, what are the, what do you think are the biggest challenges for people who are thinking about doing this, but they can't seem to get over a hump? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously a great pantry and a, and a, and a pot you kind of had some affection for is, is kind of part of the romance of it. So, so maybe, you know, and again, I don't think it's a huge investment. The spices are more expensive than the pan, but finding a pan that you really love uh, helps, I think. Um, and, um, uh, and then, you know, in your water and in your pantry, you know, it's just good to have as much sort of room to run as you can there's some good spice mixes out there but i think they're they make you um not understand or think about it as much as individual spices i mean i get i get as, just as lazy as everybody else so i, I got a zatarain's everything right and put it on whatever it is it's on the stove <laughs> just out of habit but but um, i've also already understand what the difference between cumin and cayenne and you know and those things are because i use them separately so you, they're different nose they're different burn rate they're different do different things to the no, heck, there's you know there's a million different kinds of cayenne, right? So, I'll I'll 
I'll think the cayenne that I pulled out is my old, my other cayenne and I'll put it in and burn everybody out of the house. Right. Yeah. What, what are the five ingredients I should always have? <laughs> butter. Um, and then all, all the rest of it's just to make butter pretty. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, no, I really think butter or ghee or whatever you want to use is, you know, clarified butter is really, um, uh, I think critical cooking. I, I mean, I love olive oil. And again, for my vegan chili last night, I wasn't allowed to use butter, which is hard for me, but uh, you know, butter is a great ingredient. I think, um, uh, you know, everybody should have obviously a really good black pepper too. So it's, it's an underappreciated spice, I think. And then, and I would splurge for some good salt too, or salt grinder, you know? So, um, you know, a good, a good sea salt of some sort, particularly gray salt, uh, gray sea salt, um, is just, you know, there's something different. <laughs> it's, there's something magical in it. That's it's pixie dust if there ever was any, and it, it can do wonderful things to everything to, you know, do something sweet. You know, um, I say I don't bake, but I'll do the baking version of cooking, you know, I make pies and things like that, but it's, um, uh, and then and it's a little bit of that sea salt is just fantastic. So, and then, you know, uh, you know, if you want, there's, there's little kits past that, right? So you need some kind of, for me too, dried herbs, which I know is sacrilegious for a lot of real cooks, like, you know, chefs, but, uh, but for me, a, a good thing, of herb de Provence or a good thing of Italian herbs or whatever, um, you know, pre-mixed that way you don't have the basil and the parsley and the thyme and the, you know, rosemary and all that kind of stuff. It's, I think that's another critical one. Cause again, it's about the nose, right? If you just make an eggs and you need a little pinch of Provence in there and it's all of a sudden it smells like, like fantastic. You know, it smells wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. Secret ingredient, uh, better than bouillon. This isn't an ad, but, but, you know, bouillon and stocks and all that kind of stuff are just fantastic. But my big cheat, my big, uh, you know, sort of lie, they say, how did you get that, you know, last bit of unctuous, like really good Nami flavor? It's that those little jars are better than bouillon. <laughs> And, and they've got them in everything, you know, they've got the chicken, the roasted chicken, the beef, the, you know, um, veggie and, and they're, they are incredible. They even got lobster and mushroom. Um, really? It's called better than bouillon. Better than bouillon. It's, they're unbelievable. You put that in just about anything. It's going to be delicious. <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah. I need something like that. Anything I can do to help along would be great. Um, all right. My, my last two questions for you. Number one, this episode's going to air in February, probably not before Valentine's Day, but since it's thematic, you know, do you have a go-to meal that you would say is a great one to cook for a loved one or loved ones uh, in Valentine's Day? Yeah, we, we always had a tradition when the girls were eating mammals of, uh, you know, a really nice, you know, petite sirloin with a great, you know, sort of port wine reduction and some beautiful mushrooms. Um, again, sauteed in butter, you know, so you get that sort of all that unctuousness and that caramelized, you know, butter on the mushrooms. And then, uh, and then after you sear the, the steaks, the little steaks, uh, you, you, um, uh, you know, make sure that that, that port and the red wine is picking up all those yummy bits on that cast iron pan. Um, you know, bring it, let it naturally reduce rather than throw, throwing, you know, cornstarch or, you know, you could put a little roux in there. So you could do a little, um, I mean, roux is frankly in probably half the things I make, you know, I just, I just instinctively throw, you know, olive oil or butter, olive oil and butter usually in a pan, throw some flour on top and get it to brown up. 
just for whatever I'm doing, making eggs or who knows what. God, there's a million answers for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You stumped me with that one, I think. What else you got? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll do this. I will save you by just bringing to you the last question I always ask. And that is going to be, uh, if you were talking to somebody who said, look, I want to get more into cooking. To your point, I'll concede the point. We all do cook, right? But somebody who said, I want to make this truly hobby. I'm thinking about it. You know, I I think I'm kind of passionate about it. What's your one piece of advice that would help them get started? Uh, I think that, I think you ought to invest in that Jacques Pepin, Julia Child's book. It's a great, a great base book. I know it's French cooking or whatever, and, and don't let that intimidate you. And then, and then I would just read through it. It's, it's, you know, French cooking is very, particularly that kind of French cooking is very family oriented and very, it's very simple. It's how to treat different kinds of meats and, and, um, uh, and, oh, you know, you know, I do want to add to the Valentine's Day list is you got to do a butter poached lobster tail, which is really, it's so simple with a little bit of tarragon on top. And, and if you just get a nice medium fired cast iron pan, with, you know, half an inch of butter and a good butter, you know, good Irish French butter. And, uh, and then, and then the, let them defrost because, you know, I'm sure they're frozen, you know, we're not professionals. Right. So, and then, uh, and then, and take them out of the tail or leave them in the tail either way. But I, I like to, uh, put them, you know, put them in for a little bit. So you get a little of that lobster shell juice in there in the butter and then, and then cut them out and then just let them in there real quick. It's another one of those in the category of it happens real quick. So you can't ruin it. Right. And, uh, and then, and then that butter is just, the butter is fantastic all by itself. You know, so if you just want to dip your bread in that butter, it's fantastic. But then those lobster tails are nice. They come, they come right off onto the plate and go right into your mouth. And then, um, and, uh, and that's a great Valentine's day one, I think. So that, that little steak and the lobster tail are are with the red wine saucer are are great. But so to finish the other, but I, I was trying to think of what else we did. There was an, another tradition, but I can't think of what it was. So anyway, now I'm answering your last question before I'm answering this question. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Julia Childs, get that get that book. I mean, I know it's intimidating, but if you want to sort of elevate, which I think is your question, uh, that's a great one to read. You know, and Jacques is like the serious, you know, you read his, it's a great book because it's bifurcated, right? Jacques is one page and Julia is the other page for the same recipe, you know? And it's really, it's really kind of funny because Jacques will say, you know, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And Julia's like, oh, you know, I don't know. You might do a little bit of this. You might do some of that. You might throw this at it. And if you mess this up, do redo this part of it. Don't, don't bother throwing out the whole thing. You know, like she, it's a much more, you know, she's just having fun with it. And he's definitely a chef. <laughs> and I get the feeling you're the Julia side of the equation more than the Jacques side. Is that? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 yeah I'll have to dress up like her one time for a party. Oh, I, you know what, if you do, I promise we will take a picture. We'll put it on our Instagram and uh, we'll, we'll share it to go along with the episode. <laughs> uh, uh, fantastic. All right. Well, Matt Hopkins, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the time. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Always fun to talk food. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> All right. Both of us, we'll get off and we'll go eat. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Matt. See you, brother. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our Instagram page, which is at midlife underscore hobby, or follow us any place you find podcasts, including Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, uh, or give a review on whatever platform you use. Also, I'd love to hear more thoughts and suggestions about other hobbies or speakers. 
send an email to midlife.hobby at gmail.com. I'll do everything I can to follow up with you. Special thanks goes to the world-famous chef Julia Child for this episode's inspiration around hobbies. She said, cooking may be a creative art, but it's also a wonderful full-time hobby. Hope you'll join us next time for Wanted, a Midlife Hobby.